Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Bricky here with four big stories after a week off, taking a much-needed break over the 4th of July weekend. And today, something a little bit different. Three bonus stories, business stories for my Club 1313 members. I want to thank you, everybody who's been listening to the podcast and reaching out and letting me know that you're there. It means so much to me, and I'm having such a great time. I missed it last week, but I also knew that it was the best thing that I could do to take a week off. So what do you say? Let's jump in. There's so much that's happened over the last two weeks at the Disneyland Resort. And a lot of what we're going to talk about today ties into some recent YouTube content that I've made. So you can always see more of the stories you like over at Adventures in Design on YouTube. Let's get started, friends. Bricky here. What do you say? Let's take a lap around, checking out everything new that's happened the last two weeks at the Disneyland Resort. All right, friends, a very fun place to start is talking about attractions, something that we don't always get to do because a lot of the attractions are largely kind of settled in historic pieces. It's big news when something new comes to town, but it doesn't happen that often. But it almost feels like something new is coming to the Disneyland Resort, as we found out on Monday, June 27th, that Finding Nemo Submarine Voyage at Disneyland will be reopening on July 25th. Now, this is, I think bigger news than what it would be in years past. And and something we're going to talk about today as we look at attraction news is sort of the over coverage of the Disney parks. Haunted Mansion set on that hill for what, six, seven, eight years before anything happened to it. And people just walked by and said, huh, I wonder what's going to happen there. I remember the very first time I visited the resort, I was there, I believe right at the beginning of the reimagining of Buena Vista Street in DCA. And on my second visit, I, if I have this right, you could see the metal outline of Radiator Springs happening in DCA. And because I was new to the park, it, it didn't mean anything to me. I go, oh, they're building something new. That's interesting. And I just kept moving on. But with the over-focus of Disney parks becoming a big part of online content, and a lot of independent creators such as myself digging into this very, very rich, almost sports radio type topic where there's so many fans, so many fanatical fans that cover it from each and every direction that the littlest thing becomes the biggest of news. So Submarine Voyage is coming back, which is exciting because Disneyland really needs this attraction with Toontown being down. This is something that Fantasyland needs. This is something that younger citizens of Disneyland need to have, you know, another dark ride, another immersive experience. Another thing that families can easily go on. It looks amazing. I mean, the lagoon has never looked better. The water is crystal clear. The dye job on it looks fantastic. In fact, you can see the video that I put up last Friday where I was able to see them testing the attraction. So the subs were actually moving, doing laps around it. But it's so important that this comes back with Toontown being down. You know, the, the park is like a symphony. And each section of the chorus plays a different part of the song. And when one thing goes down, it's like, oh, well, there's there's no percussion right now. Sure could use some, some percussion. And I'm not saying that Finding Nemo Submarine Voyage is the beating heart of Disneyland, but it is a big part of it. And just having the construction walls down and be able to observe this attraction, I feel like is super important. This is one that I never ride. I rode it once, felt completely, I mean, completely claustrophobic and I started to get in my mind I'm like yo if this ride breaks you from being able to fly on a plane you will have essentially broken your life 
Keep your head down. Just look out this little window. Enjoy it because you'll never be here again. And do not ride this again. Although that being said, I might be interested to do it late at night if I could look around and make sure that there were no children getting on the sub. Because literally, what kind of broke it for me was there were two or three kids. Each one set the other one off. And it was the being caught in the sub with the manic frenzy of children crying and screaming and, and, and screeching. It's a noise I'm not used to. I know many of you that have kids, you can have two or three kids just going wild. You can still keep a phone call while you're making dinner because it's just called survival. I haven't learned that that survival skill that many of you do. So being in there in that moment, it was just a breaking point where I literally just put my head down. I, I do this thing when it's too much for me. When life becomes too much, I just put my head down, stare at an object, and just try to pretend that it's all going to go away. Hopefully, fast as possible. So this is something that I literally had my most miserable, yeah, my most miserable Disneyland ride experience is Finding Nemo subs. I had to think about it for a second because when I rode the Incredicoaster back when it was California screaming, I um, could only say a couple of words when I got off to Beth. I said, uh, if I throw up, please take photos of it for Instagram. So I was already thinking about my Disneyland content creator future, even when there was no signs that there would be one. But the submarines coming back is going to be amazing. It's nice to see it there. That movement is just fascinating. And uh, I'm currently working on a piece for YouTube that should be up uh, this Wednesday. I had to cancel some stuff last week due to some personal stuff that's been going on. But I'm really looking at that Atopia footprint. And we'll talk about it more in today's podcast as well. But the idea of how the subs, Utopia and the monorail all share the exact same footprint as well as the dead people mover tracks. It's something that I really, really love, but something I've been studying and realized why Disney will not be doing that again. Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland reopened on Friday, July 1st uh, after months long of refurbishment. And then once again, kind of getting back to this narrative of the parks being overcovered. The reopening of Pirates was covered on YouTube as if they had just opened up a new land. I mean, that Friday, it was just thumbnail after thumbnail. Pirates is back. Pirates is back. And it was just a basic refurbishment. I mean, the most that was done was the outer walkway. They removed the two big trees that uh, had grown ill. They replaced them with much smaller trees. I hope they keep those trees actually at the height that they are now so that you can, for once, enjoy the beautiful facade of Pirates of the Caribbean, as well as the entryway to 21 Royal. Uh, this, to me, just isn't that big of a deal. Now, it's awesome that Pirates is back. I think there's something like 3,500 people can ride it an hour. I'm doing that off the top of my head. I remember looking that up recently for a video I was working on. So, I mean, it is a massive, massive people eater. And on top of that, it's one of the all-time best Disney attractions. So I'm not saying that I don't enjoy Pirates because I really think that it embodies the best of what Disney can do during the golden run. I mean, that is the last chapter of Walt Disney. But it's um, it's a ride coming back that was just down for a few months to get a new sidewalk. And it's treated as if it's the return of greatness. I mean, I understand there's slower news cycles in this summer in particular. It's been kind of hard to figure out what there is to talk about because we're seeing the corporation really kind of get quiet because D23 is coming up soon. So anything that they would normally sprinkle among us is being held back so they can put as much impact as possible into D23, which will be a September 11th weekend uh, in Anaheim. 
So anything major is being held in the back pocket and there's not any construction really going on right now. I mean, a couple of small things here and there, but shout out to Kenny P rocks because they have Disneyland buzzing for the summer season. I mean, it is really efficient out there. There's a, most things are going and they've also figured out the ticketing. It seems like here lately on the weekends, Disneyland's been pretty empty. And I had a friend last night hit me up and go, why is the park so empty on a Sunday? And I said, well, let's do the monkey math. The lower two levels of the passes are gone. They raise the prices on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays up to about $60 from where it is midweek. So maybe they finally hit the tipping point of this is the maximum that single day park holders are willing to pay. They have faded out the lower value customer inside of their annual pass program. They're currently not selling any new passes, so people aren't going upgrading a ticket to get more out of it. Maybe they found their Thanos balance of value during the week and high tickets on the weekend. Also, taking a value customer and giving them a really great deal on an annual pass, but not giving them the most busiest time of the season. I mean, maybe they have figured out a pretty good balance and maybe $164, $169, whatever it is for one park. If you add on a $60 park hopper, maybe 220 something to rip both parks is just that magic number of keeping the park actually enjoyable during a summer weekend. But if value is what you seek, you can go to the park on a Tuesday or Wednesday for 119 if you add on park, park hopper, 180 And uh, for your cheaper ticket, you're going to probably want to buy Genie Plus because it's going to be packed. So maybe they have found a balance. And as I would remind you, as ticket prices are for sure getting ready to go up as the Magic Key gets renewed, friend, as much as we all roll our eyes at raising prices, and look, I'm not uh, laughing over here about the, the economic crunch that people are feeling in Southern California. I'm not a homeowner. Don't know if I will be able to become a homeowner, largely because me and my wife own our own businesses. And if you own your own business, do you know how hard it is to get approved for a mortgage because you're quote unquote high risk, but your employees can easily buy a home? Because they have a job that you gave them? (laughs) I mean, people are for sure getting squeezed out economically. So I'm not laughing or rolling my eyes at pricing or price hikes. But you often have to look at things from this vision. And it's a hard place to put your mind when you feel like you're getting squeezed out. You know, every bill's going up, but you're not allowed to go into work and say, hey, uh, I need a 25% raise because all my bills have gone up 12% and I'm trying to save some money for my future. Crazy thought I know. There definitely is a squeeze on the middle class, but often you kind of have to look at things from multiple directions to get the full view of what you're trying to see. Ask yourself right now, if Disneyland rolled back the prices and it was only $100 to go there, would you want to go to that park? If it was $50 to go there. Would you really want to go to a $50 Disneyland that just said, we're going to take the first 
85, 90,000 people we can get, and then we're just going to flip a little sign out front that says park closed for the day. No more tickets sold. I think the answer is no. And I think Disney is put in the best position that you can be put in as a business. How much will they pay? What's the most amount that we can charge people to keep the park moving and safe? And it really is a game of financial chicken. And as I can see as somebody who goes to the park once a week, hashtag privileged, I see a lot of people there that I can tell that it is not inexpensive for them, that they are really scrounging up the money to make this amazing thing happen for their children. And I think that for most families, there is no price that will get them to stay away. But can you get them to stay away for the second visit or the third visit? And that is what I think we're starting to see the effects of. And kind of getting back to our previous story about two attractions returning and people making a big deal out of things that I don't think normally would be that big of a deal. But right now the park is looked at in so many different directions from so many different people. And there's so much content, which is great because I remember going there back in the day going, wow, I wish there was something that would take me to the park when I wasn't at the park, especially the first couple of years when I was falling in love with Disneyland, but still living in New York. And uh, there wasn't a lot back then. And now maybe there's too much. But one of the things that this causes is an overabundance of information and speculation. And Tiana's Bayou Adventure finally was announced. The dates that it will replace Splash Mountain. It will be replacing it in late 2024, which means it could easily slip into 2025. The reason why I am so excited that this date was just officially given to us is because for whatever reason, in my 10 years of being a fan of Disney parks, I have never seen more controversy, more resistance, and more hatred about the rebranding of an attraction as I have on the transformation of Splash Mountain to Tiana's Bayou Adventure. And I'm not going to get into the politics of it because, frankly, I'm sick of talking about it. But as somebody that does this professionally, that is always talking about the parks and always seeing comments before they get banned or deleted, it's gross. It's really, really gross. So to finally just have a date means that it's officially happening. Because there was a large portion of people that were living in some sort of Splash Mountain denial syndrome where they just were saying, nah, it's not going to happen. They just did it during George Floyd to make the blacks calm down. Like, literally, I have seen that written several times about the happiest place on earth. Mind-blowing. But Disney announced that the replacement of Splash Mountain, inspired by Princess and the Frog, will be called Tiana's Bayou Adventure. I'm fine with the name. I don't ever go, guys, do you want to go ride Smuggler's Run? I mean, Millennium Falcon, semicolon, Smuggler's Run. No, I'm like, you want to go ride the Falcon? You want to go run Smuggler's Run? Like We all find a way to abbreviate this down. So I'm not going to make a big deal about the name because I know that what they're trying to do is give themselves lots of different ways to brand it, give everybody a handful of word salad to pick the way that they want to say it, and merchandising. The longer your name is, the more components of the name that can be sub-branded. 
I know what they're doing here. I'm no fool, no siree. It's a journey to host a unique Mardi Gras party. Guests will be active participants in the ride at the end with the ultimate Mardi Gras party. And I think that that's smart. Make it a party atmosphere, make you feel like you're you're joining in, and, uh, you know, make it a celebration. It doesn't seem that this is going to be a book report attraction where it's essentially a very, very abridged version of the film. You know, you're right on your little cart. Oh, this is what happened at the beginning of the movie. Now we're 25 minutes in the movie. Now we're going to jump up to 45 minutes in the movie. Now we're at the 50 and 55 minute mark. Now we're at the end of the movie, all inside of two and a half minutes. Making this about having the ultimate Mardi Gras party. I really like their motive and agenda there. Makes it very inclusive. Makes it very fun for everybody. And it's a great extension to being a part of where in Disneyland, there'll be a gradient. This is technically where New Orleans Square ends, but this is also technically where Critter Country begins, and this attraction has both. It has Critters, it has New Orleans. But Ricky, what about it's going to ruin Walt Disney World? Walt Disney World was ruined by lazy imagineering, okay? I now know enough about Walt Disney World to say two things. One, I love it, and two, their frontier land is kind of junky. Let me explain. You ever seen somebody play SimCity or Roller Coaster Tycoon that has no comprehension whatsoever about design? Normally you see regular people make bad design decisions when they do three things. Put a bumper sticker on their car. How is that where you thought the bumper sticker should go? And why is it so crooked? Christmas lights on their house where you're like, hmm, I guess you didn't have another strand to do the fourth and final window or... What about that little line of light bulbs that just kind of ends three quarters or five eighths of the way down the roof? People make very bad decisions when they have to put a bumper sticker on their car, put Christmas lights on their house, and finally, when they get their tattoos. I believe the tattoos are a lot like children. They should be seen and not heard. But when I see some of the tattoos that people get, I go, huh, interesting. You started with the neck? You started with your hand? I come from a generation where you worked under the t-shirt, under the blouse on your tattoos, and eventually you run out of space like I did, and next thing you know, you're sleeved. But because you love your neighbors and society, you're like, nah, maybe I won't get my face, throat, or hands tattooed. But now that's where a lot of people start their journey of being tattooed, and then they get interesting things. I won't go into details on this, but I'm still fascinated by Jay Wow from the Jersey Shore. Bet you didn't think you'd hear that reference in a Disneyland podcast today. Who decided to get a baby portrait of her child on her hand. And I'm not going to go into details, but just imagine all the times when you might not want to see a baby on top of a woman's hand or anybody's. So I, I digress. When you see somebody play... Sim City or Roller Coaster Tycoon, and they throw everything in a pile. You look at them and go, Have you ever been to a city? Have you ever been to a theme park? Have you ever noticed that there's an ebb and flow of urban planning and design? But there isn't at Walt Disney World's Frontierland. Splash Mountain and Big Thunder Mountain sitting side by side, literally touching butts, blew my mind. It's like, Oh, we're just going to throw the mountain rides over here in a corner. The mountain rides should be spread around to create the 
ebb and flow of the horizon so that the park feels like you are journeying through really like lots of different lands, lots of different terrains. Not just like, yeah, boy, over here in the corner, this is where we throw all them mountain rides. It's fascinating to me, fascinating to me. So when people go, it's going to break the theming of Frontierland at the Magic Kingdom. It was broke when they got lazy decades ago. When they go, oh, that's working out at Disneyland? We need one at our Magic Kingdom. And also, even though the dark ride part of Splash Mountain on the East Coast is, I will say, better, the showrooms are much larger. You get to ride side by side with a bud. There's, there's no Jamaican bobsled action going on on that one. I mean, you're sitting next to folks. But when it comes out, the sort of loop around looks very, very log flume ride. It looks like a theme park ride. Whereas Disneyland's, I don't know how many people don't think about when you're walking out of Mansion, headed down to Critter Country or over to Galaxy's Edge. The reason why you're walking up on that incline and that hill is because all those folks who just fall down the mountain are floating around beneath you creating a very intimate area down there where you're just like right on the edge of the rivers of America. You almost feel like your body of water could intersect with that body of water. It also has a nice little quiet part of Fowler's Harbor. Shout out to the best spot at Disneyland. So I think that it's going to go fine with the theme park that is adequately themed, but with magic kingdom, yeah, it's going to be a little grab bag, but so be it. Stop off at New Orleans the next time you're out on the frontier. With the attraction being a, quote, love letter to a New Orleans, I really do think that that is a fantastic theme. And they're taking music that is inspired from the movie. This attraction essentially will pick up where the movie left off. So I, I think that it's cool that they're taking their time, creating new music, new stories. Tiana is wearing brown boots, gray pants, and a yellow top with a red bandana. And a jacket. So, you know, here's the thing. It's a Disney princess ride that's not the same old Disney princess story. I think this attraction is really showing a, a path for the future to kind of think about making rides that represent more people, more ideas. And ultimately, I believe, and this goes against some unpopular opinion, that this is the path that Disneyland should be on, that Disney parks should be on. And I'll leave you with... This little story inside of this part of the episode. I was going to make this the magic moment at the end, but surprise attack. The magic moment is in the beginning this week. I was thinking about a lot of the negativity that you see in the comments. And literally people being like, well, if it is racist and offensive to you, then don't write it. Which is such an incredible way to see the world. Oh, if something's bad, just close your eyes and then school shootings will go away. If you don't like school shootings, don't look at them, and then you won't see them. An amazing way to see the world. But I had a moment inside of my head, which is where a lot of my moments happen. I was waiting to get on the Disneyland tram, and I was looking at a cast member. They were standing two rails over from me, kind of guiding traffic flow. No, I take it back. I always try to ride in the very last row of the tram. And they were going to assist uh, a guest on a tram that would be pulling up or a van that would be pulling up that needed uh, assistance with their wheelchair to get, you know, a, a different sort of load. In. And they weren't on the big ramp up at the, up at the beginning. I, I'm getting way into the details of the tram because I love it. But I looked at this cast member and I noticed 
that they were wearing a red sort of sequency ribbon in their hair. Now, to try to tell this story the best way possible with the skills that I have and the, the tools that are made available to me, I'm not trying to be offensive at all. So if I get anything wrong, I'm just trying to tell the story in the most sweet and innocent way possible, but also to convey exactly what I saw. I believe this person was probably born as a male identity, but good for them. They wanted to wear red ribbon in their hair. Something that is now possible. I think Josh DeMarl, to me, his biggest impact on the parks will be allowing the cast to show their tattoos, for men to have beards or long hair, and for people to ch choose the costume for their attraction that they identify with, not the one that is identified with their gender. So, looking at this person who decided to wear this red ribbon in their hair, I was doing what I guess a lot of other people would do. I was staring at them. And that's wrong of me, but we never made eye contact. So it was a secret snare. Stare. Not a snare. A stare. But I was looking at them in a very heroic way, thinking about out of all the things that you could do today to go out into the world and to go to your job at the Disneyland Resort. Wearing a red ribbon in your hair when many people will look at you and go, I think that's a man. That is crazy brave. Because you know all day long there's going to be people that are going to see that and have something negative to say or talk behind your back or roll your eyes in a very small but loud few probably say something to you. And so really the only upside is how it makes you feel is that you want to do it because it represents you and who you are, even though it takes an amount of courage and bravery because of, sadly, the resistance you're going to get. And I just stood there looking at them thinking, this is beautiful, that they're willing to deal with whatever negativity comes their way because feeling pretty, feeling represented, feeling like them is that important. And I think that red ribbon in the hair should literally be everywhere in the park. Every attraction should, should symbolize the best version of the Disneyland experience. Every attraction should give everyone a fair share to feel like they went on a, a ride, got to celebrate Mardi Gras, celebrate pirates, whatever it is, and leave that attraction without a question of who they are as a person and why they were looked at or portrayed as the bad guy or the villain or the menacing villagers that pop out of the woods with spears that are going to attack the boat. Like nobody should feel like they're the bad guy unless you happen to go there and you're a stormtrooper. And then you really got to think about some of the decisions that you're making with your life. But I thought in that moment, man, that is a brave and bold and beautiful move. And I'm so excited that I'm seeing that at Disneyland because that, in my mind, is what the park should stand for.
This past Friday, me and some of my friends over at Club 1313, we did a meetup and we went and saw Thor, Love, and Thunder, which I have to say, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. It had a lot of funny moments in it. It had a lot of action. But most importantly, it felt like a Marvel movie of 2019 pre-pandemic. And I'll explain why. There's been a lot of protocol that Hollywood has had to deal with where, okay, they were still trying to actively make movies. The second half of 2020, really trying to figure out how to keep everything going in 2021, which means most of the content that we're consuming this year, such as Obi-Wan Kenobi, which felt very small. Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness felt very small to me. A lot of the Marvel content I've seen or Star Wars content I've seen over on Disney Plus for a hardcore example would be Book of Boba Fett. They feel like they're very small productions in that you don't get the big real world scenes. You don't get lots of people coming and going. You don't get lots of characters. They've creatively found ways to tell stories where, well, when Obi-Wan and Darth Vader fight, they happen to be the only two people on the planet. So therefore, only two actors have to be on the stage at once. Everybody else is all masked up and, you know, behind the safe line. And uh, I wanted to see movies that were bigger than what they've been. Now, I enjoyed Doctor Strange's Multiverse of Madness. I, I liked it even more on my second watch. But I almost felt like going through that movie and doing um, notes of what percentage of that film was three actors or less on the screen how much what percentage of that film was two actors what percentage was one and then cut that out of the overall runtime of the movie and how much of the movie was it done to where it was small you know it's just strange and wanda in this temple and yeah it works for the plot line that they wrote but you remember when the movies like captain america winter soldier just went everywhere i mean it literally just went everywhere and there was big crowd scenes and you know so much of the set design felt like they were in a real building that they were able to rent and, and take over and there was people coming and going it's just everything has felt kind of tiny and the best thing about love and thunder is it felt like a return to the big marvel movie where the adventure was epic and there was a lot of things that were still shot in a you know uh, um a green screen environment, but the concept of what they were doing made it feel like a strong point and not a weakness. So for me, it felt like we're back, baby, to big popcorn summer movies that keep going. And I've been doing a lot of switching around the narratives on today's stories. Sorry about that. Maybe you enjoy it. Maybe you don't. But also what I was just getting at with how I think that Princess and the Frog is going to make the Disneyland Resort better. I think Thor and Love and Thunder will make the Marvel Cinematic Universe better because they definitely are working on inclusion. And it's just nice to know that we went through a wild time and to see a reaction. And there probably will be an overreaction, but, you know, the pendulum always sort of swings both ways and hopefully lands somewhere in the middle. And, and that's where I try to be. Whenever I do this podcast or anything else, I just I hate the idea of being... Rush Limbaugh. One, because he's dead, and two, because he was so predictable. You just know some of these folks, like, before you even hit play, you know the narrative. This person's always bad, this party's always right, and I just don't ever want to be that person. I like to think that I'm in the middle. 
and that I can take each piece of news and digest it in a way that I'm like, well, that makes sense, but that doesn't make sense. And that unpredictability is hopefully why you uh, have made it this far and enjoy whatever it is I'm going to talk about, because even I don't know what's next. And I think, yeah, there are some Republican conservative people that can get really, really crazy with their ideas and opinions. And where do they want this country to go? But then there also are some crazy, insane liberal democratic people that it's like, well, you can't save everything all the time at once. What are you doing, man? So, you know, middle shoot for the middle. The middle is where you want to be. And so I really do think that where everything is at right now is reactionary. Things will settle in. And the best thing about when it does settle in is it'll all feel normal. And in that normalcy will be the acceptance for all different people, whatever people want to do. And, uh, you know, the best we could hope for is people that don't understand. will just go, nah, whatever. And now nah, whatever is probably the best response you could get versus a violent or loud response. But I really did enjoy the movie. It's fun to see just sort of the overall Disney corporation that soon will have been around for a hundred years, really evolve and become a better version of itself as it's getting ready to hit that huge benchmark of 100 years. So part of Thor love and thunder being in cinema means that mighty Thor is appearing in Avengers campus for a limited time. And the limited time thing is interesting when you have the costumes and you have the, the people that can play them. It would just be nice if whenever you went to Avengers Campus, it was just a mixed assortment of whoever. You know, like, oh, I went on Tuesday and I saw Shang-Chi and Moon Knight. You know, I mean, will we see Moon Knight in there again? I don't know. Will we ever see variant version of Loki in there again? I, I don't know. I wish we would. But Meaty, meaty Thor. <laughs> Mighty Thor, a.k.a. Jane Foster, will appear in Avengers Campus for a limited time. I tried to go see her at Avengers Campus. We all went to the movie Friday. We saw an early showing so we could then hop over DCA. So we saw the movie at like 4.55, walked through the front gate of DCA, I think maybe around 8 o'clock, 8.30, and uh, no Mighty Thor. No even regular Thor. We saw America Chavez. I saw Miss Marvel, Horny Loki, and Spider-Man all walking around. And uh, it was cool to see that assortment. Also, Doctor Strange did his show once while we were there. But we didn't get to see the new characters. And I, I really wish when a new movie came out, if they were going to be for a limited time, I almost wish that you could be guaranteed that you would be able to see them somewhat hourly. But getting into this project that I teased earlier that I'm working on about Disney Synergy, listen to this. You can now get a tactile upgrade or tactical upgrade for your Spider-Bot for $24.99. So if you already have a Spider-Bot, you can get a tactical upgrade that will then theme it to look like Thor. And then you can also get Mighty Thor's Hammer Drink Vessel that is $25.99. The upgrade on your Spider-Bot is $24.99. So here we have a $26 and a $25 item. By the way, the whore... <laughs> Thor Hammer Beverage Sippy Drink are everywhere. It lights up. You can open up the top of your hammer and you can put the drink inside of it, which is kind of a wild way to drink your beverage. But nonetheless, if you were getting sick of always seeing the Coke Infinity Gauntlet, well, now there is the hammer that everybody is drinking out of. But this type of synergy, right, where the movie comes out, new characters show up at Avengers Campus, and there's new merchandise opportunities. More than just 
the new t-shirt or action figure, like taking the way that you consume a beverage and making one of those popcorn bucket sipper type pieces of merchandise that a lot of people collect. Or an upgrade to something that you've already bought previously, a spider bot where you can then theme it after a favorite character. This type of synergy of we're going to buy Marvel so we can make the movies, feed it into getting people to either buy a movie ticket, a theme park ticket, or a streaming subscription, and then also buy as many various types of merchandise as we can offer to them. This type of synergy is the reason why you won't see any more original story rides at the Disneyland Resort. And I've been working on this piece that will go out Thursday on YouTube about Utopia. And if you think about it, I measured out Utopia. It's about 230,000 square feet. Now, what else is that size? All of Main Street, USA. If you took the entire Main Street train station building, the inside of every building, including Mr. Lincoln's Theater, all the way up to the complete Holly Jolly and Plaza Inn. Like that entire Main Street area is the size of Utopia. Adventureland is only 30,000 square feet larger. And Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, included in Toontown, is only 20,000 square feet larger than all of Utopia. And Avengers Campus, which we're talking about, is about 70, 80,000 square feet smaller, not including the space where the future e-ticket will go. So when you think about this, Utopia is a massive amount of land. And it's stuck in time because the Finding Nemo submarine, even though visually to us, it looks like they just sit side by side, the track for Nemo, the dark ride portion of it, actually goes underneath the Utopia. If you were to remove the people mover tracks, well, you know what they say, a chain is only strong as its weakest link. And if you remove those pieces of the people mover track, what weight and stress does that put on neighboring pieces of the track? I mean, you might not have to pull out all of it, but what would that do to the defunct launch bay or carousel of progress or the other track that circles around in other directions? Would it put a lot of weight on that to where it would create a domino effect of construction costs. And then you have the monorail that does two beautiful vanity laps over the top of the Utopia, over that space. Monorail track is something that they never want to get into doing again. It's insanely expensive. So the best you could hope for is they would cut out those two circles and just make it one broad pass. What I'm getting at is Utopia is stuck in time because the way to untie it is incredibly expensive. It will create a ripple into all of these other things, which is why when new lands open up, people go, I don't know, it's fine. There's not enough synergy here. I think we have to relook at what synergy is as theme park fans because Disney is relooking at what synergy means. Synergy now is the design of the land, the transformative experience of going into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and feeling like you've walked in to Star Wars. That is the synergy of that land. And yes, I completely agree. They are not using the stages in there adequately. Why are there not more characters walking through there? I will never know. And I'm just as confused as you are. 
But with the much smaller Avengers Campus, they don't have the luxury to be lazy. They have to keep the characters pumping in there to create the synergy for a pretty small land. I mean, it, after all, it was Bugs Land, and Bugs Land didn't include the Tower of Terror at the time. So when you look at Utopia, four attractions living in harmony, creating layering storytelling in the Disney park, I believe that is a time that we'll never get back to. And embedded in that is the Utopia attraction, which is something else we'll never get back to because unlike the ability to go see Thor, Love and Thunder at a movie ticket purchase on Friday afternoon, then going over to a theme park ticket that night, buying food at Pim's Test Kitchen while I'm waiting to see the characters and I'm seeing lots of other people walking around with the hammer and I could also upgrade my spider bot if I wanted to. You see what I'm seeing? There's a lot of different ways that that one idea can go in so many different directions. And all of those directions lead to making more money and also rewarding the customer's love of the intellectual property. If you're a Thor fan, you're excited because you can go see Thor or Mighty Thor or buy any of these items. But Atopia, it's nearly next to impossible to make any animated or live content surrounded this property. When's the last time that you bought those new sick Atopia ears or that Atopia t-shirt or the Atopia sippy cup? Remember the time we were all eating popcorn out of an Atopia car? It just doesn't have that curb appeal. The IP is just not there. I mean, it's literally themed around something that happened one year later. The theme of Utopia was a shared highway system that America was going to get next year from President Eisenhower. That's how far back it goes. So imagine this. Whenever they figure out what that synergy fix is, and they're willing to go into all of the extraordinary financial cost. Right now, there's a portion of Disneyland that maybe you won't even step foot in on your next visit. Maybe you don't ride a Tobia. Or maybe you do. Maybe it's your kid's favorite ride or your favorite ride. More power to you. I'm not saying it's a bad ride, but I'm saying this for sure. Let's say that you spend 20 minutes waiting in line, and then the entire ride takes you 10 minutes. 30 minutes spent in 2,000, sorry, 230,000 square feet. You spent 30 minutes there. Imagine if it was a whole new land with two major attractions, lots of experiential ways to dine or buy merchandise like Savvy's Workshop or build a spider bot, you know, this new type of interactive stores and, and merchandising opportunities they have or restaurants that are Imagine to always be bringing in new food offerings. So every time you go there, you feel like you got a new exclusive treat. Imagine spending three hours in this part of land that you maybe only spend 30 minutes in. I'm not saying that I don't enjoy Disney synergy of the past because I really do. And I'm also not saying that I don't enjoy original IP attractions because I do. But I am also saying why I understand why they're not coming back. And why all the newest lands, Cars Land, being the sort of the template of the new Disney theme parks era, but Cars Land, Pandora, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and Avengers Campus, each one of these new fully immersive lands are designed 
where each attraction sits on its own parcel of land. So if anything's amiss, if anything needs to be replaced, you can pull one piece out, fix it, and then everything else can be the way that it was. It's ready to roll. It's ready to rip. Which is why I believe that the third attraction was canceled at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, where you would ride on a do-back type character around the perimeter of the land. That was going to be overlapping. If that thing became problematic or if it didn't work out or if the technology didn't pan out or there wasn't a popularity there, which I don't see that would have for sure been my most favorite attraction of that land. Now you have do-back trails that are all around Rise of the Resistance, that are around Smuggler or the shops, and now you have the people mover, right? You have dead tracks running through everything, and to take it out becomes a huge mess. So I understand why, if this is a business of making magic, the business part says we can't do these things anymore. And then it gets up to the debate, what's better? And this is up for you to decide. I'm not going to tell you. But is it better to have original stories in the synergy? But eventually it could break and end up where Atopia and Tomorrowland is. Or is it better to have these new lands where the synergy is walking into a landscape where it's not just one ride about one story. It's an entire land that shares the same narrative. And every direction you go is a different chapter telling you the same story. I guess I'm not saying one is better than the other, but I am definitely saying that we've entered a new chapter of theme park design, and I can understand by looking backwards and thinking about it from a financial point of view why it's going the way that it is. Yeah, it would be awesome to be able to have both, but D, all of the above is a childish thing that we see in high school. It's not really a realistic way that we get to live our lives as adults. And friends, my final story today for everybody who's listening for free. Thank you so much for showing up. I do have three more little business news stories I'm going to get into for Club 1313 members to give them some bonus content for being the ones that are paying for the podcast to be produced each and every week but i wanted to end here the arc reactor which is sort of the energy of avengers campus uh has had a little bit of drama over the last couple of months it seems that the arc reactor which is where you come in off of the performance corridor it's that big area where it swells around and there's the avengers campus photo op and over to the other side of that was the future home of where the Stanley uh, in memoriam plaque would go where they dedicated the land to Stanley. So that sort of opening area, the arc reactor sits in the middle there. And the story is, is that's what powers the entire Avengers campus because the campus itself is a gift from the Stark family. It's an old Stark Motors factory that they were able to give over to the Avengers to turn into a campus to recruit new recruits. Pretty good story works really well with how Avengers Campus bleeds into the sight lines of Cars Land, right? Because you have a fully immersive land all about cars on one area and then what do you see over the trees? Well, it's an old factory where they used to make cars. The best experience to see this is if you walk on the quiet path of Cars Land where over to the right of you is 
Luigi's Rollickin' Roadsters, and over to the left of you is the edge of the Cozy Cone Motel. As you walk in one direction, the signs all say Stark 55, which 55 is when Disneyland was born, and the Stark is saying, hey, we're making cars in the middle of the 19th century, or is that the 20th century? But then when you go the other way, it's welcoming you to Radiator Springs. So those little signs, two of them, to your left or to your right, depending on which way you're walking, really symbolize how they were able to take Avengers Campus, smash it right next to Cars Land, and have the two lands live in harmony. The Arc Reactor is another problem solving. We need to create a big open space to welcome people into this pretty narrow land that I've jokingly called Avengers Hallway. We also need to have an area for people to stand because we know they're going to gather when we want them to watch the flying Spider-Man that happens above the web building. But also because we're putting a high demand land off the side of the performance corridor, we need to be able to use this circle to let overflow of people that want to watch whatever parade that's coming by or people to be able to flow in freely from the food festival. All of the borders of Disneyland are always masterfully put together so that one idea makes the other one stronger. And as we've hit the year anniversary of Avengers Campus, and we've seen the second campus open up over in Paris, I thought that the cover over the arc reactor was a really great sort of anniversary for the first year and what we've learned over the first year. And no, this isn't going to become a poop fest. This is actually going to be a positive thing because the arc reactor, at one point, they were creating these like metal covers because I guess maybe two slices of the pizza weren't lighting up properly or they'd gotten damaged. So I noticed there was a two pieces were covered, then three pieces, then half. And now there's just like a tortilla sitting over the whole thing. So one from a pizza to a tortilla in this analogy. But the entire tortilla is covered because something's happening where people are walking over the top of it. And I'm not sure if it's people are jumping on it because there's something about people like, I wonder if this thing will break. Let's see if we can break it. I mean, that's part of why the treehouse got taken down over in Disneyland proper because a dad thought it would be funny to jump on top of the bridge to see if he could snap a plank of wood on the bridge. And he did. And along with it went the entire treehouse because it's no longer there. But I think the arc reactor being covered up really shows what this land is one year later. It's a work in progress. I really believe that what we've seen is a stage has been built. And the idea with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and Avengers Campus, I always bundle them together because you can tell Cars Land was the beginning of this new era of theme park design. But Cars Land, each piece is telling the same story, but they're very individual from one another. They're all under the same brand, the same look, but they kind of stand very independently. But when we see the branding of Galaxy's Edge and Avengers Campus, it's more stitched together. And Avengers Campus being even more so than Galaxy's Edge is actually the best example we have of where I think theme park design is going. The idea is now you build a stage and the land can become a land that tells stories. The synergy we were just talking about in our last piece. New movies show up, new characters show up, new Disney Plus content arrives at home, new characters arrive at your home in Avengers Campus. 
which leads and bleeds and all kinds of merchandise and opportunities. But then this land is a stage where future stories will be told. And it's hard to say, oh, it's not successful or I don't like it because would you say I don't like the movie or would you say I don't like the movie theater? Well, obviously, some movie theaters exist in bad neighborhoods, have low amenities and don't feel like a safe place to be. So I'll give you that. But saying, nah, the movie theater sucked. When it's not any of those things I just said is different than saying I didn't like the movie. This movie wasn't for me, but I'm going to continue to go back to the movie theater because maybe the movie theater will have a better movie playing in that exact same room three months from now. I think a lot of people have judged Avengers Campus on its first year of story. But as I see it, it has so many more years of story to tell. One of the things I worked on since last we spoke was I made a video showing how the Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind could actually come over to Disney's California Adventure. Maybe rebuilding a ride that is a sure winner where they were going to put the e-ticket behind the Avengers HQ, maybe that solves a lot of problems, saves a lot of money, and makes it happen faster. Or maybe growing the Avengers campus over in the dead Hollywood land back lot would be a great way for it to go. But I can say this about Avengers Campus, and I can't say this about many other lands, which leads me to believe that even though in its first year of story, it may have felt inferior to other ideas and other things that we've seen, it's not the same place it was a year ago. Mighty Thor showing up, Ant-Man and the Wasp walking around with the shrunken version of Bugs Land in their hands. Being able to see America Chavez or Miss Marvel cruise around. Two very young, female, diverse characters walking around that many people just think are just a fan just walking through the park. Like, Miss Marvel literally just looks like a girl hanging out in a costume. And I bet most people that aren't cued into things probably think that's what she is, which goes perfectly along with the narrative of that character. I think this cover-up on the Arc Reactor shows, hey, we got some things right, we got some things wrong, but we're not done telling the story. And I think ultimately, a land that you can see with your own eyes is a work in progress, is exactly what you would want. A land that is a stage where stories come and go, not a land that is a box where you build your attractions and store them there. Friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Disneyland for Designers, where I talk all things Disney. Coming up in part two for members of Club 1313, I've got four more stories for you. It seems some of these went a little bit longer than I planned, and hey, I can't sit here forever. Coming up for members only, we're going to talk about the Haunted Mansion closing and Oogie Boogie's Halloween selling out. And what I believe, I think I'm able to draw a line between the park being emptier on the weekends and the actual occupancy of the park as associated with these after dark parties that they're trying to do all year long, not just seasonally. 
We'll also talk about Disney employees that backed out of their home purchases in Central Florida and how the um, Disney corporate move over to a state that's gone completely different than the state where all these people are coming from, uh, how that's creating a lot of problems for Disney on this money-saving move, which has turned into a move into a bit of a culture war for some folks, as well as we're going to look at how Disney is working hard to prioritize Disneyland Resort hotel guests with lots of different incentives. And we'll talk more why that's so important. And then last but not least, I will tell you about the Disneyland Instagram hack. Maybe I'll tell you I did it. No, I won't tell you that I did, but maybe you never know. All of that and so much more is waiting for you if you're a member of Club 1313. If you are a member of the club, go to your members panel and make sure that you look. I'll have the second half of the episode there for you to download and listen to. Thank you so much, friends, for showing up and going on this journey with me. I missed you last week. So good to be back. And I can't wait till we do it next week to look back on everything that happened at the Disneyland Resort. So I'll either see you next week or I'll see you right now if you're a member of Club1313.com.